Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mets fans, welcome to Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 265. We are the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and this week on the podcast, me and Chris McShane talk a little bit about Mets and a lot about some other stuff. Real important, if you go to AmazingAvenue.com, you can find the link to the Spotify playlist we created with our favorite songs of the year. And uh, yeah, it's a nice way to bring in the new year to listen to uh, some good music. So here are Chris and I, and uh, enjoy. Well, Chris, we had planned to not talk at all about the Mets on this week's show, but something so bizarre, so <laughs> unusual, so perfectly Mets happened that I feel we have to discuss this a little bit. So for those that are unaware, Omar Minaya, former general manager of the Mets from 2004 to 2010, has been hired as special assistant to GM Sandy Alderson. If, if reports are to be believed, this was a deal that was brokered by Fred Wilpon himself and that the front office is none too pleased about having Omar back in the fold. Now, there are a number of ways 
to discuss this. So let's just start sort of on on its purest merits. Do you think Omar Minaya can be a viable and important member of the Mets front office in 2018? Sure. I think he can be. Um, you know, I think it's something that it's a guy who has, uh, can I just say, a certain set of skills. And <laughs> <laughs> um, he... he he does. Like he's gotten other jobs in baseball since he lost the job as the GM of the Mets. You know, you you read things things from people that say um, he has no interest in being a GM again, and everything. You know, in completely objective, isolated, whatever world. Sure, you know, this is a guy who could contribute something that's useful. Um, you know, just because things went the way they did when he was GM doesn't mean that he doesn't know anything about baseball. Right. And, you know, he, uh, he, he's well respected as a scout throughout baseball. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's a reputation out there of him being a particularly good judge of talent, which I think, you know, we can talk about maybe a little bit more, um, objectively in a minute, but, you know, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think that, you know, any baseball team can benefit from having an experienced and talented set of eyes in the front office to whether it's evaluating potential players to be drafted or working, you know, on the, on the side of, of, of trades or working as an advanced scout. You know, there, there's lots of things that he could do as a member of the front office, but let's pivot here. Do you think this is a smart move for the 2018 Mets? No, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, like if you were rolling out how not to do the off season, uh, given the reality that they exist in, and look, there's a lot of guys who haven't signed. Um, you know, it's been kind of a slow moving off season. I think that'll probably change in the next couple of weeks, if only because you know the season starts a little earlier this year. Spring training starts fairly early. Uh, guys need to know where they're going to go to work. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of time. There's a lot of players left out there. Uh, but at this point in time, with everything that we know about the offseason, if you're going to roll it out, you make a coaching hire, a manager, a, a managerial hire, I should say. Uh, I'm getting my football and baseball worlds <laughs> mixed up since my teams are both going through the same thing. Um, <laughs> but you make a managerial hire that gets praised and is – you know, genuinely uh, impressive. Uh, Mickey Callaway makes a good, you know, face for the organization as it kind of tries to rebound from a very disappointing season. And then you don't do a whole lot. You know, you, you, you sign a relief pitcher who makes sense. That's fine. But other bigger things are going on. And then you just have the Carrig report drop. Um about the whole financial situation. And then you decide to tell everybody that you've extended Sandy Alderson. And then you just throw in, oh, yeah, and we're bringing back Omar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the Wilpons were just sick of reading the, uh, you know, Sandy's mess versus Omar's team debates <laughs> right, right. on Twitter and said, let's, let's put an end to that and just make them work together and it'll be both of their team. Uh, it's just so profoundly weird. Like it is, you know, it, it's not unheard of for former GMs to take a role in in 
in a team's, you know, like for instance, if if three GMs from now, Omar Minaya was brought back as a special assistant, that wouldn't be too weird. But he's he's coming in to work for the guy who took his job less than ten years after he had that job, and in a in a team situation where there appears to be a fair amount of conflict between the front office and management. Not not insurmountable conflict, mind you. But, you right. know, it, it seems like there is certainly a different set of priorities for ownership and for management. And so when you're having ownership bring in a a front office piece that that could only be taken as a threat, I mean, really, even if it's a veiled or idle threat, you can't help but look at this as the Wilpon saying, you know, we're, we're putting something in place in case things break bad with Sandy. Right, I mean, or 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 am I just turn this into a pro wrestling storyline? <laughs> I mean, may maybe you are. I, I don't know. Um, it, there still seems to be a sense that John Rico is sort of the heir apparent to the GM throne. Uh-huh. If that is the case, then bringing Omar in isn't this uh, you know sort of threatening situation and all that. But I I don't know. It, it's hard to avoid thinking that way um this is an organization that is capable of making very bad decisions and you know it it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if all of a sudden they said omar is the gm now and that doesn't necessarily make rico you know not be in line to be the next one right he could be an interim gm or something if all this is canned in, in august you know something like that Right, but yeah, it's uh, it's just I don't know what they're doing sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Well, sometimes I do. Oh. Like they signed Cespedes twice. That was good. They traded <laughs> for him. I got that. That all made sense. They Fair traded enough. Dickey. You know, I was on board with the Dickey trade at the time. Uh, as much as it hurt to see him go, so yeah, <laughs> sometimes it makes sense. Not much lately, though. No it it seems like uh, it's it seems like every possible part, every possible bad news story that could break for the Mets has broken in the last six weeks or so. Uh, you know, it just seems like it's this it's this den of dysfunction, and it seemed that way before the Omar situation. So I don't even know. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, I saw somebody on Twitter, and I forget who it is, and apologies if this is a listener to our show. I saw somebody try to use the Abraham Lincoln team of rivals term for this. Ah. Uh-huh. And that seems, I mean, Pollyanna-ish at best, I'd say. You know, I, I don't think the Wilpons are thinking about creating a super front office here. That just doesn't seem like their style. I, I just I don't know, I don't. I, okay, so then I, I want to briefly touch on Omar's legacy because um, a couple of pieces went up this week on the site that, that talked about this, and I know our own Steve Saipa is working on something about Omar's drafting acumen. But I, I've seen a lot of people talk about how under Omar the team drafted so well, and how we have to really get back to that. Without looking, without opening a tab on your browser right now, do you remember Omar as a particularly adept uh, drafter? 
No. Nope. Me neither. <laughs> and yeah, no. Just just because players, it. I'm not saying you shouldn't get credit. Everybody who you draft, you had some role, obviously, in in bringing them into the organization and, and getting them to the point of major league success. But man, they completely botched a few drafts very early on. Eddie Cunz. Right. They drafted a college reliever with a first round draft pick. And a pretty decent pick at that. Like that that's the ultimate example of it. Uh but there were a lot of bad things that happened in those drafts. And when you look at teams that you would say they draft well, they also hit and get lucky a little bit. Right. I mean the the baseball draft in particular is a crapshoot, but you have teams that hit with these guys who are in the you know fourth, fifth, tenth, twentieth, and beyond rounds, um, and it's nice you know the Mets wouldn't have been where they were without those guys having been drafted, um, you know by Omar and his front office. But if the early round picks had also been you know, good to excellent or at least major league contributors um, in, in even a few cases, then you might be looking at a very different sort of outcome, uh, you know, for what the team was over those years. So, I mean, w- w- without looking, let's see how, let's see if we can do this. I believe his first draft might have been Umber. Like, uh, that's possible. Yeah. Umber, Pelfrey. Cuns, Reese Havens, uh, eventually Harvey, a uh, Holt, right? Didn't he draft Holt? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Hold on. I was trying to do this without looking, but you can you can look it up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I'll. Uh, uh, I'm just gonna cheat. <laughs> is there somebody else? Or that that might. I don't think he drafted Lasting's Millage. I think Millage was the last draft before him. Yeah, let's see. So it was. Yeah, it, I think you're right. So if it's 2004 that it starts, it is Umber, Pelfrey, um, Nathan Vineyard. Oh, boy. And, and Eddie Coons. You're right, Brad, Bradley Holt. Uh, Reese Havens, Ike Davis. Ike Davis, okay. Had dabbled in Major League success briefly. Yep. Partial credit uh, there. Harvey, and then it switches over. Yeah. Then it's Nemo, Fulmer, Ploiecki, Chikini, Smith, Conforto, K. Dunn, Peterson for for the current front office. I mean, just in in those early picks alone, I think Conforto might decimate everything that. Uh, that Omar did in the first rounds. I might give him Harvey. Oh, right. Yeah, him. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still like a Harvey supporter. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, fair. Fair. But, uh, and it's not, it shouldn't, it's not that it's like something to obsess over, but, you know, you look at it and uh, those overall results from the first rounds are, are pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, you know, there is certainly an art to drafting lower, you know, in in the lower rounds, drafting guys who aren't going to be household names at the time of their draft. There is an art to that. 
But to say that that falls on the GM, to me, is silly. I can understand the first couple of rounds, maybe the GM having intimate knowledge. I don't think in the 22nd round, the GM really has any idea who he's drafting. I mean, organizationally, they know. But I don't think the general manager himself is necessarily thinking about, oh, yes, you know, Chris McShane from Manhattan College. He's, he, you know... His secondary stuff was really good. We we need to draft that guy. I just don't think that happens all that often. Yeah. So you can't really give him personally credit. I mean, I guess you could say he developed a good team, et cetera, et cetera. And look, I, I'm not an Omar hater. I think that Omar, you know, look, Omar took the team within a win of the World Series once. And, yeah. you know, is responsible for Johan Santana being a uh, a Met and responsible for Ari Dickey being a Met, right? Did, did Dickey come in under him? Yeah, I think it was a minor league signing. Yeah. Um, well, it was still under him, right? Yeah, yeah I believe so. Um, so, you know, th- lots of good stuff happened under Omar. A lot of really terrible stuff happened, too. You know, Jason Bay happened under Omar. Yeah. Um, that That's the one that I always come back to, you know. I mean, <laughs> th- think about the litany of shit catchers the Mets had after Paul LaDuca under Omar. Yeah, you know when 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 Brian Schneider is is the the gem of the bunch, you know Henry Blanco and uh, you know we can go on and on and, and but I just think it's a it's a weird choice. It's I just I I don't get it. I just don't get it. But. You know, I will say this: this is not. Be, this might be an uneventful off season. It has not been a boring off season. Between no. the Carrig article <laughs> and this, it has not been a boring off season. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's uh, not a whole lot of transactions, but <laughs> plenty to uh, digest. I think it's pretty hilarious that Carrig still finds himself invited on the SNY shows. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he'd have been uh summarily shown the door by this point. Um, yeah. But we have to get him on the show soon. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we can probably make that happen soon. Yeah. Yeah, let's just do a, it. Let's just not even uh, there doesn't even need to be a question. Just Mark, go ahead. Give us, give us all the fire you got. Exactly, as long as you can, and we will just sit back, sit back and listen. We, we we should try and do it in person, so we can put like a drink and a half in him first to really loosen him up. So we'll see. This is what we do for you, our dear listeners. We try and get beat reporters toasted to talk about uh, met met rumors. So, um, anyway, let's. Let's get back to our plan of not talking about the Mets. So, yes. uh, Chris, let, let's let's start with your your recent honeymoon to the Southern Hemisphere. Just give us in like a couple of sentences, a couple of paragraphs, the things that people definitely need to do if they ever find themselves in New Zealand and or Australia. So, and of course, yeah. this is the definitive guide. <laughs> there, there, there is a, you spent like three weeks there. You know all there is to know. You are the authority on this. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, let's see if I just try to give a quick rundown. 
there were three components to what we did, the North Island of, of uh, New Zealand and then over to Australia, Melbourne and around there um, just for a few days and then back in the, in the South Island. So must do things uh, on the North Island, I would say um, if you like Lord of the Rings even a little bit, especially if you love Lord of the Rings, you have to go to Hobbiton. Uh, that is awesome. Um, see a, a Maori performance of some sort. Um, there's a variety of those events um, around Rotorua. Uh, do that. Um, what else? We had a lot of highlights. We, we hiked Tongariro Alpine Crossing. Uh, if you're up for it, it's a 19.4 kilometer hike. There's a path through most of it. Um, some parts get a little challenging. The weather can change very, very quickly. Um, the last three hours for us were absolutely miserable, but it was totally worth it <laughs> uh, because everything up until that point was was just amazing. Um, so yeah, that those those are just things off the top of my head is like must do things on the North Island uh, in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, we specifically went and timed it to be there for King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards Festival Gizfest. <laughs> Uh, that is their home city. It also happened to just kind of be the one that worked out the best for, you know, the time we were, we were over there and everything. Um, so if you're there, and con- assuming they continue to do this, which at this point I have every reason to believe they will, uh, if you're there in late November, early December, Gizfest is a must-do in Australia. And then we went, um, we, we were on the go a lot, uh, but we, we made the trip out to the Twelve Apostles uh, which is Great Ocean Road. I've not done California, but my impression is that it's sort of Australia's um, version of you know driving this windy road along the coast of just gorgeous beaches and and all sorts of stuff. But the the Twelve Apostles are these limestone formations off the coast, um, and there's a lot of there's cliffs that form the coastline, and then the beach, and then these formations of it that are out in the water not far out but it's just absolutely stunning um so th- those are must do things oh uh also y- you may see them if you're out and about on the coast around sunset we-, we actually saw them at that location as well but make sure you see penguins coming in out of the ocean uh they're little penguins they're sort of like a, a-, a bluish tint and white they're only about a foot tall, uh, and they come in every night all year round at sunset. There's there's a place on Phillip Island that you can do that. Uh, it is like a big tourist thing, but it's really awesome. You know, you can watch videos of it and and see it and all that, and but you know from afar. But to go down there and actually do it, uh, it is pretty cool. And then going back over to the other side, um, Wellington. Uh, I'd been told going in, got comparisons to like Pittsburgh and San Francisco. We were only there for a day and a night, um, but it's uh, it's it's probably the coolest city we saw, and it's okay. not a knock on any of the other ones. Um, and we weren't primarily there for cities, but Wellington, if you wanted to like do city stuff, uh, that that was pretty great. And then one of the real musts is uh, the ferry from Wellington down to South Island, um, and you just 
it's gorgeous as you leave. You're out on open water for a little while. It's about a three and a half hour ferry ride. Um, but when you come into the South Island, you're just going through these sounds that are just, they just blow you away. Um, what else? So on South Island, uh, Kai Terry Terry is a little town with one of the nicest beaches I've ever seen. It's near Abel Tasman National Park. Um, you could, any of these locations that I'm mentioning, you could spend, you know, days, weeks, whatever. Uh, but one thing that we encountered a lot with it, people would hear how long it was, and if they'd been there before, like, oh, that's not long enough. Well, screw that. Like, <laughs> you know, you, we got three weeks, um, you know, by American vacation standards. That's that's pretty great that we were able to take that much time off in a row. Absolutely. So it, it is a long flight. I would say if if you're going for the first time and you can only do one week, maybe wait until you get to a point that you can do two. But, you know, you don't have to see everything and – if people say it's not enough time, uh, don't listen to that. You can, you know, you, you can make the best of it, uh, and just kind of pick and choose the things that you want to do the most. But yeah, Kai Terry Terry stood out. Um, the Whale Watch and Kaikoura, um, they had, had a pretty significant earthquake almost exactly a year before we were there. Um, but it was it was awesome. Um, and then what else? uh rent a camper van uh if you do it make sure that the running water in your camper van works before you leave the <laughs> rental place would so that happen to be to... from personal experience <laughs> oh yeah so you don't have to go to a mechanic that they're paying but still you have to go to a mechanic and get it fixed while you're like in the midst of uh whatever your vacation is in our case honeymoon but <laughs> uh yeah make sure make sure that everything works before you drive away um it, you know uh, but but it is it, it's a pretty cool thing. I'm glad we did it the way we did, where we weren't in one the entire time, because the mix of like small hotels, Airbnbs, that kind of stuff. You're you're talking to people who live there and know things and and all that. So it's you know it's kind of good to mix it up. But that experience of just sleeping, you know, on the bed in the van, um, and, uh, going to camp sites, some of which are just you know, pretty much like a, a an area by a lake, and some of which are a little more developed uh, with facilities. Uh, but do that, and then Milford Sound uh, down in Queenstown. It, it, well, it, it's it's a little bit of a ride from Queenstown, but it's out of Queenstown. Um, that is a major destination. It's absolutely amazing uh we had been given advice to make sure that we flew at least home from there um it's a five-hour drive whether you were to drive yourself or or take a bus uh of of some sort it's a five-hour drive each way it's like a 35 minute flight okay Uh, so we went neither of us had been on a single engine aircraft before uh, eight seater, tiny, tiny little plane. <laughs> uh, but we did that and it was, you know, it kind of came to a point where it was for the sake of time. Um, cause for that sort of thing, anything that involves air travel, especially smaller air travel in, in New Zealand can be very subject to weather and weather changes. So 
the way it worked out. Um, it was kind of our last full day on that island that, that was going to be the one that was going to work to, to go do that. And because of the amount of time we had, we, we flew both ways. So that's something it, – it's not cheap, but uh, if you can swing it, man, do that. Um, and, yeah, I think I think that about that, – that's a good run of highlights from it all. Um, I'm tired just listening to that. <laughs> yeah, we we probably did – I'd have to add it up, but I, I think we did at least 40 hours of driving in the span of three weeks. Um, maybe a little bit more if you add it, you know, all of it up. But do all of that. Eat plenty of breakfast. It's so good there. The food is really good. Um, you know, if you're into the extreme sports stuff, then Queenstown has all that to offer. Uh, with the bungee jumping and skydiving are not our thing, but if you like that stuff, those things are supposed to be amazing there. Uh, Ferg Burger is a burger joint in Queenstown that gets a lot of hype. Um, don't wait in the line. It's we honestly were like it wasn't even good. Never mind. Like wow to to hype. Yeah, yeah. I it, so don't especially if you're the vast majority of our listeners. And I know there have been. And, and hopefully still are some from <laughs> a variety of places, but the vast majority are probably living in the United States. Um, there are good burgers in those countries, but you know, just just get them as you go to places that are like, oh, this looks like a place I could eat at. Get them there. Um, we have Shake Shack, we have In and Out, uh, we have uh, all sorts of other, you know. Like we we've we've figured burgers out. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's our thing. Uh, but the food was otherwise excellent overall. Breakfast in particular. Um, so just go in, and we we had no expectations with ever going in, and uh, don't be surprised that it's all really good. And uh, yeah, they're famous for their wine, and rightfully so. It's excellent, but they also have a ton of craft breweries for a country of four and a half million people. Um. Yeah, it, it's pretty much paradise, and there's actually a town, <laughs> a little area called Paradise, that's uh, featured in a show called Top of the Lake. Yes, yes. Uh, that we actually hadn't seen. We, we may have heard of it, but it registered when we were in the town of Glenorchy, and then Paradise. I'm not sure if it's technically in its own town or just part of Glenorchy, um, but that's where that show takes place. That show, I believe, stars Elizabeth Olsen from Mad Men, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, does it? I believe so. so. I never watched Mad Men. I don't know if that... Oh, dude. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, is that her? I'm reasonably sure it is, but I'm not looking it up. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if it is. Elizabeth Moss. I'm sorry, Elizabeth Moss. Yes. 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 So. She uh, plays Peggy oh. Olsen on Mad Men. That's why I was saying Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So you're correct, sir. Um, so, yeah, that's my rambling uh, <laughs> thing. But uh, so there's plenty are, of other are you, stuff. Are you trying to figure out if the borough will let you work remotely from... Uh, from New Zealand or what? 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be nice. The time difference is a little challenging, but it would be nice. Yeah. You are uh, you are awake um, for a good portion of the day. That you know, folks back home are awake for right. Uh, Eighteen hour difference. So the, I mean, the easiest way to just do that is basically just make it a six hour difference, and then factor in that most of the time you're a, a day ahead. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, oh, and if you go there when, when Star Wars comes out, uh, <laughs> see it at midnight there because we saw the midnight showing. Um, I don't know. It, I didn't realize this was a thing, but a lot of countries will get movies that come out a day before. Yes. Yes. They do in the United States. Yeah. Um, and being in New York City, we're spoiled because, you know, at the very least, even if we don't get it like a full week ahead, we typically get showings a little bit sooner than the rest of the, the country, New York and L.A. Yeah. Um, but it was a calendar day ahead, plus the time difference, plus the fact that we saw it at midnight, you know, which is essentially Wednesday night there. Right. Uh, so we, we saw it. Uh, we went to sleep. We did that whole flight thing that I had mentioned in the tiny plane, came back, had the rest of the day, went to sleep, woke up, and a few hours after that, our friends in New York went to see it. So <laughs> if you just so happen to be there at the release of a major movie, uh, carve that out. Go do it. Make your friends jealous. Well, that's a nice transition. We said we wanted to talk about Star Wars. Uh, yes. So spoiler alert, right? Yes, uh, yes. You know, if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not a huge Star Wars fan, but, you know, just in case. Um, yeah, spoiler alert, up top here. So, um, I guess I'll I'll let the listener hear my voice for a few minutes here. Um, sure. <laughs> I, uh, so, I, I, I'm a gigantic Star Wars fan. When I was uh, 16, I got a job at a movie theater because the rumor in town was that if you worked there, you could see movies a day early. And Star Wars Episode One was coming out. I wanted to be the first person I knew to see it, so I got a job at a movie theater just to see Star Wars early. Um, you know, I've since come to regret that decision because of the prequels, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm also a huge fan of Ryan Johnson, the writer director of this film. I really like his first three films: Brick, Looper, and The Brothers Bloom. Uh, probably in that order. Uh, Brick, I saw. I was actually visiting friends in Los Angeles when that was just playing in L.A. And uh, it, it blew me away. I really, really like Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. And uh, I would say that going into The Last Jedi, my biggest fear was that it was going to sort of continue in what Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, did, which was that sort of give us a, a, a fairly standard Star Wars story that felt like Star Wars and didn't have a lot of surprises because it sort of followed the Star Wars formula. And I really enjoyed The Force Awakens, but... Just today, actually, I watched A New Hope with my daughter again. She loves that movie. And when you're watching it sort of um, beat by beat, it's alarming how similar you know it is just in terms of structure to A New Hope. And so I was just hoping that Ryan Johnson would do something different with the franchise. And I think he certainly did something quite, quite different. Um I would say as it currently stands, it is it ranks number three on my list of Star Wars films. Nice. Uh, I have I have friends who rank it as high as one, 
Uh, and, I, and I have one person who ranks it as low as nine, thinks it's the worst of any of the uh, films, which is a, which is a crazy thing for someone to think, in my opinion. Um, but what did you think of it briefly? So yeah, I've only seen it once. Uh, that the you know midnight showing in yeah. New Zealand. Uh, planning to see it again at some point soon in IMAX here. Um, I've only seen it three times so far. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, I, I really liked it too. Um, I don't know if I'd put it third in like the overall rankings, uh, but I agree on pretty much all of your points. Uh, you know, um, loved The Force Awakens, and I loved that this was different. It was unique. Um, felt really character based, character driven. Not that there wasn't, uh, you know, a, a larger plot going on, but. Um, I don't know. I, it just it it felt very consistent with everything, while still sort of being its own new thing. Um, and it's funny. I, I haven't gone back and watched A New Hope yet. Um, I have since Seven came out. Yeah. But just on Christmas night, after you know doing all of our family things and all that, and we had to work you know the morning after Christmas. Um, so we'd come back home and just threw on Empire Strikes Back and watched the whole thing. And that made me like episode eight even more. And I had already liked it. Um, and I'm curious to see how I feel when I come out of it the second time. But yeah, it was just something kind of hard to describe, but, uh, just going back and, and going through that period of the story and, and Luke's, story especially since he's uh you know not the main character of eight but right up there right uh, yeah and obviously the whole the most of the rest of the entire existence of these films is based on his family mm-hmm. uh so yeah i just um I, I i liked it a lot i i'm looking forward to seeing it again and uh yeah, if I were to rank right now, I probably still would go just for the sake of brevity. I'd probably still go five, four, six, seven, eight. Okay. But, you know, I don't know if that's like too much loyalty to the original trilogy. And, and you know, after multiple viewings, eight might end up ahead of seven for me. Um, but that's all good. They're all above a, a very distinct line. Although yes. I think there are times when three, I can still be like, uh, yes, not uh, not that it's great, but uh, there are times that I'm like, hey, let's like separate that from the the other. Well, prequels. three moves like that. So much happens in that movie that you can right. kind of forgive some of the shit because it's over so quickly. Whereas, like, right. episode two is just this laborious nightmare. Yeah, two two is one of the, like, worst movies ever made. Yeah. yeah, It's so bad. Yeah. So my ranking, I think, and I've thought about this a lot recently, is uh, Empire's number one, A New Hope's yeah. number two, The Last Jedi. Uh, I think then The Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One. And then the prequels. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I put Rogue One. I enjoyed Rogue One, too. I, I really did. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if I, sometimes I'm like, am I a pushover? But it's, you give me a good story and in, in a universe that I love and I'm, I'm in. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think Rogue One is especially kind of a weird one to, to talk about because it really is such a slight story in the overall scheme of things. Right. You know, like it, essentially, again, I just watched A New Hope today. So it mentions like, you know, that the the rebellion has won its first major battle against the empire and during that battle the plans were stolen for the death star and then they made a whole movie out of the, like one line in the opening crawl of a new hope but i feel like i'm a sucker for all the stuff with like the the jedi religion and the force believers and all that and so the guardians of the wells characters in that film bays and uh Chirrut, are uh-huh. just like I love those characters, and those are very, very good characters. I think K2SO is probably the best droid in any Star Wars film as well. So you, mm. you take those three things for me, you put them in the movie. I'm, I'm really gonna like Rogue. I, I like Rogue One quite a bit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's um, it was funny. We had mostly avoided. We, we avoided. I mean, I saw trailers and stuff, um, so we weren't going in completely blind, but. Being that we saw it at the time that we did, I wouldn't have even known anything about anyone else's opinion about it except, and this is totally fine, um, the the guy at the register when we went to like get our e tickets uh-huh. turned into movie tickets mentioned you know how high the critics had rated it, uh, the Rotten Tomato score and all that, and I, I was fine like okay cool uh, you know it's well reviewed that didn't like ruin anything at all. Um, <laughs> But we had mostly avoided other opinions, and and for the most part, I've I've avoided them too. Like when I heard that that some people were super angry and all that, I was like, well, what? Like, did they just want Luke to be like, oh, I'm just kidding, I'll come back, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, what was I thinking? Why am I? Yeah, sure, you're here. I don't know you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go back and just like, did they want him to come back and be the lead again? I don't know. To me, like that, and again, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Yes. To me, that final sequence of him, like, force projecting himself was such an amazing sequence and led to such a beautiful ending of him looking at the binary suns again and then, like, becoming one with... Like, you can't write a better ending for Luke Skywalker than that, to me. You just can't, you know? Um and he's to me again. I'm, we're getting maybe a little bit deeper than the casual Star Wars fan is going to want, but I don't really care at this point. Um, like <laughs> Luke's, like you know, Luke Skywalker's role in all of of in the galaxy is he is a beacon of hope. He destroys the Death Star, which was a beacon of terror, and gives hope to the rebellion. Then he he destroys the Emperor and turns Darth Vader and gives hope again. And now, at the darkest time of the Resistance, he becomes a beacon of hope yet again. That's his that's his role in the Star Wars saga. He is there to give hope to others. He oftentimes he fails on his own. And Yoda says that to him too, like in this in Episode Eight. But like his failures are not as important as the symbolic beacon of hope that he represents for people. And so I think it just continues that. And I understand, like, I, Mark Hamill has since walked back his comments a little bit. But I understand from Mark Hamill's standpoint, it's probably not the ideal way he would want to close out that character. Right. But, you know, I'm sure Sean Connery 
would want James Bond to be like, you know, to still be doing the same things he was doing when he was playing. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, you get attached to these characters, but that doesn't mean that you're the best decision maker for them. Right. Yeah. And it's just a couple of other quick things. The Ray Kylo Ren scene was incredible. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed, I had mentioned the Luke force projection scene. Uh, I really enjoyed the scene on the Millennium Falcon where R2 plays Luke, the message from Leia from, from a new hope. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to have to be like a, a five to 10 year time jump between episodes eight and nine to give Carrie Fisher's, to give, to give Carrie Fisher's death a place in the trilogy that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. And also to give the the resistance a chance to build up a little bit before we see them again. Because that that is, a, I, th- I think, a fair criticism I've seen of it is that essentially most of the characters in the film are just on a ship going very slowly for most of it. <laughs> you know, so you right. want you want to build them up into something more important. And I totally understand that. Um, I loved the jump to light speed moment with Laura Dern's character, Vice Admiral yeah. Holdo. Yeah. That was great. Um, I wish that the casino of Canto Bite was weirder. Like I, yeah. I, I wish they had gone more really bizarre space space casino as opposed to like, you know, uh, you know, as opposed to what we got. Um, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Uh... I'm right there with you. When I saw that you had seen it multiple times, I was like, all right, we're probably going to be close to on the same page at <laughs> <Yeah>. least. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so a friend of mine has never seen a Star Wars movie until this week. And I, I lent him all my Blu-rays. And so I have to see it at least one more time with him when he catches up. Nice. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Um, so uh, we're coming up on New Year's Eve here. Chris, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? Anything fun? Um, staying pretty local because I am going to the Winter Classic. Oh yeah, I'm I'm uh, gathering all my warmest clothing, <laughs> looking at uh, all sorts of different heating packs. Ha- have a bunch of different heating pack type things. Um, actually looked up whether or not like battery powered heated clothing exists. It does. It does. Yes. I'm not going to be able to get it before Sunday. Um, I don't know if I could afford it, even if I could get it before. Well, well Monday, I should say. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Next time I go sit outside and freeze my ass off for a game, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will know that that's a, a thing that I can get. <clears throat> but uh, as a result, yeah, just staying pretty local. Um, you know, maybe go to a, a party some friends are having maybe just kind of kick it at the apartment and then uh, go to our favorite bar for midnight and then kind of call it a night. Not looking to be hungover uh, as I enter into the tundra hockey on Monday. But <laughs> yeah. what, what, what about you? Uh, we're just we're just having a couple people over the house. We have uh, one of my wife's best friends now lives in Hawaii. And they are in for Christmas and New Year's with her family, so they're bringing their newborn baby to our house. Along, and, and then like five or six other friends are coming over, and I, I'm just gonna do like um, 
I'm gonna make some nice bourbon cocktails in a in sort of yeah. You know, I was trying to do a nice cocktail for a party like that, and uh, and I'm just gonna do like appetizers and finger foods all night. I'm gonna bake some bread, make some jams, make some pizzas, stuff like that. You know, nice. Yeah, yeah. Was- we we had done a New Year's party, you know, proper invite a bunch of people kind of party in our apartment for I don't know seven or eight years in a row. Oh wow. Okay. Um. And then had one where we were just like, eh, I think that's it. Like, <laughs> maybe again at some point, but kind of just went from doing the heavy lifting on all that every year to uh, maybe let's not do that for a while. But <laughs> yeah. um, one of the things similar to that food approach, um, there's a Swiss food method of cooking communal sort of setting uh, called the raclette which it's a type of cheese, which is involved, okay. uh, but it's, uh, you, you plug it in and it's got a heating coil, uh, above the heating coil can either be a stone, which is the one that we got. Uh, it's like a stone surface. Uh, you can get it with a metal, you know, sort of, sort of a cast irony looking, uh, but not cast iron kind of grill looking surface, but that's on the top. It's a rectangle. That's on the top. The heating coil is underneath whatever that surface is. And then there's space between the heating coil and there's sort of like each person gets a little tray. So you can cook up whatever kind of meats and veggies you want on the top. And then there's a bowl of potatoes uh, and you, you know, you melt the cheese on top of the potatoes underneath where you're cooking the other stuff up top. And then, you know, so you just put out a bunch of different things and you combine them. Uh, It's a pretty cool way to eat. Uh, it it sounds like Korean barbecue meets fondue, kind of. Yeah, that would be a good way of putting it. And you do do it all DIY. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's that that's the thing we used to do. So that sort of you know similar in spirit. Um, yeah. A bunch a bunch of little things. No official like dinner, but nobody goes home hungry either. Yeah. One year I did like I I bought a really fancy pork crown roast and uh there it, the recipe called for like so you pull it out of the oven and you pull you put a chilled bottle of champagne in the middle of the crown roast and the heat pops the cork and then ah. that makes the champagne sauce that you eat the pork in so like it was it was a cool idea the presentation did not quite go as well as i hoped it would <laughs> uh, it didn't it didn't totally fail but it didn't quite work that well but you know it's like by the time you get to 10 o'clock at night and everyone's been picking on appetizers and stuff all night you're not super in the mood for a giant meal anyway so we're just going to do it this way so yeah but it'll be fun um but i i think last time i had promised a recipe and so uh Let's see what recipe can I give here. I'll give my my bread recipe. It's really simple. It's a no need bread. I get rave reviews for it all the time. It's just all you need is six and a half cups of flour, a tablespoon and a half of yeast and salt. You mix it with uh, three and a half, I believe, cups water, and uh, and you need to when you bake it, you gotta throw a big thing of water in there so steam helps you cook. It steam helps like give it a better crust. It's nice. For, uh, it's it's great. I'll I'll make probably six loaves of bread ahead of New Year's Eve because I have I'm making like a, a a bacon onion jam and a peach jalapeno jam and I'll make some compound butter. It'll be good. It'll be good stuff. It'll be. Uh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it'll be a nice night. So 
And uh, I guess the last thing we're gonna we're gonna talk about here as we wind down our our 2017 podcast is you know both of us love music quite a bit. We both play music, and uh, last year we, we each gave five songs we loved. We put together a Spotify playlist. We'll do the same thing this year. Um, so I guess we'll just go back and forth. I actually I picked six songs, anticipating we might have one overlap. So okay. we'll see how this goes. What is your what's your first pick for the Amazing Avenue Audio 2017 Best of Spotify playlist? Uh, Ryan Adams, do you still love me? Nice choice. Uh, just a really good opener of an album. Some play a couple of shows early in the year uh, where he opened with it. Just powerful song, loud, uh, very very Ryan Adamsy got kind of a weird timing to it um and uh yeah it's a it's a good one i wonder if that album if it had come out like four months later would have gotten more love at the end of the year with people talking about best albums i i i I don't think it's his best album by a long shot but i think it's probably better than than the reception at the end of the year would have you believe yeah rough trade had it two on their top 100. Wow. Um, you know, and he, he played there. I got to see him play there. Um, so I'm sure that that has some influence on it, but they, you know, they had it very high up. Um, and there aren't a whole lot of lists that I take seriously. Right. Um, anyway, but, but yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, that's, that's where I start off. All right, I'm going to start with, uh, so uh, well, one of my favorite songwriters is a guy named David Bazan. He was in a band called Pedro the Lion that is actually reuniting next year. But uh, he's put out a number of solo records, but this year he formed a new band. They're called Low Tom, and um, it, it's just a, they released like a very short eight-song album. When I saw them play at Rough Trade, actually, uh, in Brooklyn, they played the entire eight-song album, and then for their encore, came back and played the first two songs again. Because all they knew <laughs> were eight songs at that point. <laughs> so, it's kind of interesting. But uh, the, the second track on the album is called Overboard, and it's it's definitely the song that I probably had stuck in my head the most this year. It's super, super catchy. Um, but like really, really good indie rock. Nothing fancy or, uh, or, or I guess, unexpected in terms of like instrumentation or arrangement. Just... Eight really solid songs on that album. I think Overboard is probably my favorite one of the batch. So, All right. Yeah. What's your second pick? Uh, so this is dipping back into the trip a little bit. A song called Yeah Nah, which is uh, a phrase in New Zealand and Australia, which is essentially no, but uh, <laughs> Yeah Nah uh, is, is a thing that you'll hear quite a bit. Um, and it's a song by a band called Laser Tits. And it's five women. They played at King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards Giz Fest. Um, they were awesome. Certainly some Slater Kenny influence there. Uh, Nothing wrong know. with that. And uh, yeah, just a lot of energy. This is a legitimately good band that um, I don't know how it works. You know, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, happens for a band from australia to come over and play shows over here i don't know if they already have i was under the impression that they have not but don't be surprised uh, i mean it could be you might never see them here ever uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but also don't be surprised if they uh 
you know, not that they're going to like rise to the level of playing the garden, but they could play shows in Brooklyn uh, easily. And if people like <clears throat> got exposed to it, uh, that, you know, they could probably play pretty decent size shows in Brooklyn. I have to check them out. I'm not familiar with them at all. Yeah. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. Um, and definitely, definitely in the spirit of Slater Kinney, especially, and I love Slater Kinney's late stuff, but especially like the early stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, I'm going to pick a song by Laura Marling. It's the first track off of her album, Semper Femina. It's called, uh, Soothing. And this is, you know, it's just, this is one of my favorite, like three or four songs of the year. Um, but unfortunately, I don't feel the rest of the album necessarily lives up to it. It's a good album, but when I heard this first song, I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be absolutely my jam." It has a it has a really really great um, fretless bassline, like acoustic bassline on it, and it sets a really cool tone. And I was I was really really feeling the the first song of the album, and the rest of the album like I said is good, but it kind of set me up for disappointment because I love this first song so much. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's a good album. It's a great song, "Soothing" by Laura Marling. Nice. What's what's next for you? Uh so I had joked about making the whole part of my list. Everything by King Gizzard. Um, Was it at five albums this year? Yeah, uh, they have not. It is only the twenty ninth as we record. I do think that sometime between now and midnight. Uh, as the clock strikes 2018, they will release the fifth. They've put out four or five songs um, that are were previously, you know, not released. <clears throat> I don't want to say unreleased because it's, it's all building up to this album. Uh, but four albums came out, and there's a chance that by the time you hear this, they will have completed their, their goal of releasing five uh, in the year. I could pick songs off of all of them, pretty much. I have my own rankings of of those albums, but without taking too deep of a dive, I'll just give you the ten minute song "Crumbling Castle." <laughs> um, they do have some songs that are long, but this is, I, w- I would say is by far the longest, um, and it kind of gives a little bit of a sampling within this one song of the different places that they go. Uh, some of the occasionally they'll have an album that's very like very very laid back and and uh kind of like acoustic driven and all that but most of the time they rock uh pretty pretty loud um you know it's not it's not metal uh by by any stretch but it's you know loud energetic music so crumbling castle it's a good introduction it's off the album polygon wanna land uh which i would rank as their best album of the ones that have come out this year I don't know if I've heard that one yet. I, I know I've heard at least three of the albums. I don't know if I've heard that one. Nice. So yeah, that, that this one came out like just as we were departing. Oh, uh, did so that, I had it. Then I, I definitely it. have not heard it. Okay. Yeah, I, I had it downloaded before we got there and listened to it a few times, and then you know heard them play parts of it uh, as part of their set and everything. So yeah, that's that. That's where. And I will just say, it sort of uh, didn't really uh, try to set up a theme, but 
But first three song names now here are Do You Still Love Me? Second song, Yeah Nah, and third song, Crumbling Castle. So there's a nice little arc there. Yeah, it, it, we're getting sadder and sadder. Um, <laughs> all right, so I, this next one is the one I thought maybe you would pick. Um, I think you're a fan of one or both of these artists. It's uh, Continental Breakfast by Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile. Okay, you yeah, f- more, more Barnett. Okay, have you, have you heard this album, their their collaborative album? Not all of it. Okay. I think I, I, like, a couple songs from it either on Spotify or maybe, like, before it was released. Right. If they put something somewhere, SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I haven't heard all of it yet. I do like Courtney Barnett a lot. I'm dying to see just her. Yeah, um, same here. You know, Australian music. Yes. Well, that's why I wasn't sure if it would also make the list for that reason. Um, but but this song is... Uh, I, I really dislike, for the most part, songs about being on the road by, from bands. Because I feel like they, they fall into one of two categories, which is like the feel sorry for me, I'm on the road category. Uh-huh. Or, or the like, I'm a fucking god category right and like i don't particularly so you're you're not insulting we are the road crew no not at all <laughs> okay all right cool <laughs> yeah um and i understand that like people write about the circumstances that they're in etc etc but road songs do tend to drive me crazy but uh this song is kind of about not about being on the road but just like uh courtney sings a line in here like uh i enjoy my intercontinental friendships I enjoy them over inter- over continental breakfast. I believe is the line, and it's okay. like it's basically saying how like you know when you're on the road so much, you have a lot of friends you don't get to see that often, but you kind of see them like in hotels and backstage and breakfast, whatever. And I think that for all of us as we get older, you sort of have to steal that time away with friends sometimes, and you don't get to do the the weekend road trips you used to do with your buddies, or whatever. You kind of got have to see them when you can. You you catch these little moments of grace where you're able to get together. And I, I feel like this song really represents that very, very well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my third pick. What's your fourth pick? Uh, Pride, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, I, I will say that Damn is not my favorite record of his. Same, um, same. I, I think it's his weakest, actually, thus far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would probably... I'd probably agree. Um good competition to be in really oh yeah. certainly yeah <laughs> but yeah uh so there are a few songs on it that i just have never come around on um the pride play is just before humble it's you know it's slow it's got a good bass line and it's just sort of this relaxed song uh and then it goes right into like the banger that is humble so it's it's partly for its place on the album um but it's in and of itself, I like it a lot. And it's, I mean, I, To Pimp a Butterfly was really the, you know, just the the very instrumental kind of sound that that record had. Um, and even Untitled Unmastered, obviously being part of those times and sessions, had that. Uh, Damn doesn't have a lot of that, but this is a song that, you know, it, it has a good feel to it. Um, and... Yeah, even even if it's like not his best, uh, the guy knows what he's doing. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, my next one is definitely the most uh, dad rock selection I've chosen. Although to be fair, my <laughs> right. list 
my, my list is fairly dad rock heavy. I'll I'll, I'll admit that. But I, I am a dad who likes to rock, so I'll I'll allow it. Um, it's by Spiral Stairs, who used to be in Pavement, and he released a great album this year called Doris and the Daggers. And uh, it's it's an album where I, I feel like you know for, for years I was I would take the there was sort of the the, the, the are, are you a fan of Stephen Malcolmus? Are you a fan of Spiral Stairs? I always fell on the Malcolmus side, but I think that. Uh, the last couple of Malcolm's albums I've really been disappointed by, and this album just feels like a guy who's not trying to prove anything to anyone. He, um, his voice has sort of gotten lower as he's gotten older, and he's sort of really settled into this like chesty sort of baritone. And I, I really enjoy his voice. And you know, like some of the songs are, are about literal like life and death. He talks about his. There's a song about his daughter called "The Unconditional." There's a song about his drummer that was supposed to record the album with him who died. There's a couple of songs that reference his death and uh it's um like it, it it's it's an album that feels very much true to this like middle-aged guy who still wants to make rock music and that's not a revolutionary idea and it's certainly not like, like you know going back to Kendrick Lamar for a second i think like damn is an album that's really important because i feel like it speaks to sort of the the time like if it feels like on to pimp a butterfly he was able to focus more on the artistry but now the circumstances in the world are so dire that like there's no time for that he has to like get right to the point kind of this is the opposite of that this is not at all a uh <laughs> like an important album it's just it's just a really good record by a guy and and uh i'm a sucker for things like he uses he uses horns on the album a little bit really really well and uh, i don't i am not like I don't want Clarence Clemens in my band playing like that kind of saxophone, but I like horns every now and then. And there's a song called Trams, uh, parenthetically stole my love that I really, really enjoy. And, uh, yeah, it's just a fun album. It's an album. I, I think I've listened to that album more than anything else this year. Uh, it's just good, like doing the dishes, doing work kind of music. And, uh, yeah, I, for, for whatever reason, maybe because I feel like the last couple of years have been, rather tumultuous in, in in my or not tumultuous, rather momentous in my personal life it's nice to hear somebody kind of just singing about like their own life and not not trying to make a, a a grand statement but just talking about their sort of personal circumstance all right yeah what's your last uh, pick <clears throat> um so it, it could have been a number of songs off this record uh but priests uh song appropriate mm-hmm First track on that record, Nothing Feels Natural. Um, they were a lot of fun. I, they may have been the first show I went to in 2017. Okay. Um, I do keep a spreadsheet of that, so I could definitively tell you whether or not that was the case. So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, it's um female lead singer whose name I should know, but it's escaping me off the top of my head. Um, and she's awesome. They're really great. Um, it was the first show that I saw in 2017 out of the 30, 30 wow. shows. Yeah. It's a good year, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so, yeah. that. Um, How many of those were Gizzard or Wilco? Uh, let's see. Eight. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> more than a quarter of your list (laughs) yep yep (laughs) um so yeah uh just it's the first song on that record uh 
there, there are two or three others that I consider throwing on there, but um, like Crumbling Castle, first song, and Do You Still Love Me? Um, and actually, I think Yana yeah, is also an opener. So like <laughs> everything except Pride that I've mentioned here, um, it each of these bands had reasons to put these songs at the start of their records. Um, so that, I think, kind of comes through. Uh, I didn't really plan it out that way. But, you know, putting those songs out there as introductions uh, is something that they all did in those cases. Uh, and, and they can kind of take you further into the, the album or, or their catalog, whatever whatever you'd like it to be. But, um, but yeah, so that's my, that's my five. And, and last but not least. Well, I do want to say I did, not include, I did not include a song from my favorite album of the year which was um, Mount Erie's A Crow Looked at Me. It's the saddest record you'll ever hear. <laughs> it is so depressing, and like for good reason. Like they, it's, uh, The guy, Phil El- Elverum, who is, who is Mount Erie, essentially, his, um, his wife gave birth to a child, and then the child is healthy, but the wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died shortly thereafter. And Ooh, yeah. the album was recorded with using... She was a uh, musician as well, using her instruments in her office... And it's just all about her. It's all about her death and how it affected him. It's like the most heartbreakingly beautiful album you've ever heard. But it is not like I, I want to put this playlist out there so people enjoy themselves. And it's like it is not. It's not party music at all. You know. Um, yeah. I went to go see him. He played at the um, what's it called? Is it the Murmur Theater in Brooklyn now? Uh, uh, I don't know. Honestly, no. Uh, it's um. It used to be something else. It, it's in a synagogue in Brooklyn, and uh, and it was like this beautiful big space, and just him and the acoustic guitar. And like halfway through, he was like, "Thank you guys for putting yourselves through this." Is how he said it to the audience because <laughs> it really is like a very very sad. Um, but it's great. But anyway, we're not gonna do that. Uh, I'm gonna choose two arrows by Real Estate. Uh, Got to rep at least one Jersey band here. Um, Real estate are from Bergen County, New Jersey, where I am originally from, and uh, they made a lineup change this year, which was very good. They kicked out their guitar player Matt Mondanelli, who then was also in a band called Ducktales, and he came out as a sexual predator. So good move getting rid of him, and they got this guy Julian Lynch in the band, who's uh, another uh, Bergen County native and who has released a couple of solo albums. Who's a great guitar player, and uh, this song Two Arrows" falls right in the middle of their album, and it's. It sort of has the most experimental, instrumental section of their career. I think, I don't have this album on vinyl. I would presume this is the last song of Side One. And it does the thing that uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy does on Abbey Road by the Beatles, where there's, yeah. this, like, there's this like droning guitar part that just eventually cuts off. Like there's no warning for it; it just stops. I love that. And when I first heard it, I I, I just it fell in love with it. Um, but yeah, great great melodies, really um, really moody music from it. It definitely evokes a tone. Uh, I had recently said to a friend of mine that like, they're the only band in in my life that I uh, I don't mind. They keep making very similar albums. You know, there are little changes here and there, but they really set a tone, and I'm just happy to live in that tone every two years or so for 10 songs. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I will throw in an honorable mention. Okay. Of, uh, he's not, or it, this record isn't on Spotify, but if you want to go track down a, a bonus track, 
Um, I'll mix it up a little and not go with the first song on the record again. <laughs> but Orange Color Queen by Ty Siegel. Um, he put out a record self-titled in 2017. It's not on Spotify. It, I have no idea if it's on Apple Music. It may or may not be, but um, it, it's out there. You can buy it. That's still a thing you can do with music that you really like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, making some of the best music that's out there is just not going to be on our Spotify playlist. So just just that quick, quick extra. Well, since, since you're doing that, I'll do this too. Uh, so there's <laughs> there's this project called The Caretaker. It's electronic music, kind of, but not really. Uh, they're releasing this album that is essentially coming out in like five stages. And stages one and two came out last year, three and four came out this year, and then I think the next and last one comes out next year. It actually might be seventh. It's anyway, it's this long album. But the idea behind the album is that it's supposed to elicit like the it's supposed to sound like somebody who's losing their mind to Alzheimer's. I'm just talking about happy stuff tonight. Uh, So like it's (laughs) it's all made up of old jazz samples, but as as the album as the stages happen they get more and more clouded and they start repeating themselves more. It's a really fascinating, weird way to, 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 to make the music, but it's not on Spotify either. If you look up the caretaker on, um, on Bandcamp, you can find it though. So yeah, again, just, just really happy, happy stuff coming from me tonight. So, (laughs) well, uh, Chris, this has been a fun year. Do we want to, uh, give one, uh, New Year's resolution each for the Mets. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I don't know how you achieve it, but keep the pitching healthy. I will I piggyback on your answer <laughs> for mine, and that's sign Dickey and Cologne because that will keep the pitching healthy. There you go. Minor yeah, league well, deals, minor league deals, guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really advocating for Cologne and Dickey to have two spots in the starting rotation, but right. But they, they may be the they may be the healthiest two guys by the time the season begins. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, and <laughs> and there there was a report this week that Cologne would sign a minor league deal with the Mets. Right, and then like they weren't interested, and, I, and when I saw that, I was like, if you, if anyone wants to sign a minor league deal with you, you should be interested. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I want my resolution to be sell the team, but we know that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> No, it's not. Unfortunately. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We uh, we had a fun year. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Nitzanap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Email us, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Now that Chris is back, now that the holiday season is behind us, we'll be doing more regular shows. Um, you can go to Apple podcast you can go to stitcher you can go to blogtalkradio.com you can find our show get them there rate review and subscribe it in apple podcasts we really appreciate that and um go to amazingavenue.com check out all of the uh free agent profiles and uh news and analysis that is happening over there right now and yeah we uh we appreciate you listening and a happy 2018 to you and uh i'll give you the final word chris go for it Oh, I was just going to say that all sums it up. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody. Let's go Mets. 